Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and I think we have the audio issue figured out. Uh, It just took me literally having to scrape and scrap and throw away everything that GarageBand has saved and basically start from the very beginning in hopes that it will just capture this in the most realist form possible. I don't know if there was some weird internal setting that was just configured to hold on to some sort of like echo or kind of tinny voice. And it drove me nuts. I couldn't figure it out. And so I went on this little adventure this morning and was uh, scouring through the interwebs and looking for other applications, other programs, something to hopefully figure this thing out. And I think we finally just started from scratch and resolved our problem. And this is what I'm going to do, hopefully going forward, so we don't ever go back to those ridiculous episodes. But I think the content was still good. I just think the quality was just not quite up to par with what we've done here on the show uh, in years past. And so with that, I want to obviously continue producing good quality material, not only that it sounds good, but it also is edifying and helps educate you on the particular text that we are covering that day. So um, just a little bit of news. We um, had a discussion with the publisher and within, by the time this episode airs, it'll be the end of October uh, the 27th. And then probably around the first week or so of November, which would be next week or, or, you know, maybe the week after, depending on when she gets back from her vacation, my editor will give me some quotes and we'll start to move through the editing process of the book. And then we'll do like, you know, cover designs and all of that sort of stuff and hopes I, I, I would venture to say probably still three to six months yet through that whole process before we have a physical copy. Uh, at this point we'll have an e-copy, uh, so you can get it on your Kindles or your phones, whatever you want to do with that. And uh, we'll have a printed physical copy. Just it'll be paperback. Not looking to do hardcovers or anything like that. But just for the sake of this book, we'll have those two versions for you. Um, 
And maybe, I don't know, down the road, if it is popular enough, we'll do a second edition and we could even turn it into an audio book. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> we'll see how that all kind of pans out. I do note uh, in the book that, you know, if this is well received, I will do a second edition uh, and we can explore these topics in deeper use. Um, so we'll see. Uh, a lot of things to kind of tick by the 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 bucket here as we go about life. Uh, I start my uh, hospice chaplain role. It's per diem, so it's as needed. Start that uh, the 1st of November. Um, so pretty excited for that. And uh, yeah, that's really all of the uh, excitement I got going on for me. So we're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to look at uh, the rest of chapter 16. I think today we'll just really focus primarily on the foretelling of the death and resurrection of Jesus and this little catch me statement here at the end by Peter with the statement that Jesus rebukes him with. Uh, and then we'll dig in probably the latter half of the show and look at picking up your cross and following Jesus. And we'll hopefully shred some of those preconceived ideas and notions that you have carried that uh, encompass this you know, construct of what it means to carry your cross. And uh, hopefully we'll provide a better or more intuitive insight into that passage. So we're going to wrap up 16 today. That's the goal. We have uh, two small sections, but there's a lot of depth to them. So I hope that we can uh, at least do good at handling the material. I don't ever think we'll exhaust content on this show. Uh, we could spend hours working on a particular passage and yet come back at it two or three years later and find something new to it. So that's the beauty of scripture. It's always, it's alive. It's not changing in the fact that the, the, the text changes, but it changes in its application. It changes in its meaning and its impact upon us. And so you might read a passage when you are really struggling in this aspect of sin in one year, and then you come back to it a few years later after you've overcome that sin and find that you have, you know, really changed that passage has really changed its meaning to you. So that's what we mean by the passages of the text of scripture to be alive and, de and always developing and changing you as you go along in life. So you know, we'll never exhaust it. That's the beauty of it. We can drink from this well uh, for for here until the time Christ comes back, and we'll still never fully exhaust any of it. So uh, let's finish chapter 16 today, and we'll go from there. So here we go, chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, 
and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, so there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, we do have this kind of... uh, separation, if you would, of the text. And so we're going to, we're going to first look at this. Uh, I think I might've touched base on it last week, just briefly, um, 21 through 23. I think we just touched on it briefly. I'm just going to, you know, if we did, we're going to revisit that just a little bit today, but our primary focus is going to be 24, uh, through 28, the end of the chapter. And that's where we will kind of set the scene for chapter 17, the transfiguration. So, uh, we have to understand that 21 and 24, these are kind of the separating verses in this text here today, but 21 is following the proclamation that Peter gives. And so there's not really a discretionary amount of time given here. There's no set stage like, you know, a week later or a month later, but it just says from that time. So now from this moment forward, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem because this is his, this is his path. This is what he's, you know, assigned to do. You could say his task. Uh, he is going to be moving towards Jerusalem from here on out in our text. And we'll actually see in Matthew 21, the glorious entry into Jerusalem. And we would then classify that until the end of his life, the Holy Week. And so we would generally acknowledge chapter 21 on Palm Sunday, where Jesus makes the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then we have his arrest and crucifixion and uh, resurrection on that weekend. So the following weekend, that is. So from here on out, the tr- the destiny is now the designation, the the point of journey is to Jerusalem. And so there's, again, no set time. However, it is to be noted that this is probably one following this marker right after Peter makes the proclamation. So Jesus has now set his eyes on Jerusalem, and this is where he must suffer, die, and on the third third day rise from the grave to fulfill his father's will. The first passion prediction that is recorded here in Matthew. Uh, Peter's harsh rebuke results in his failure to envision a Christ, right? So he says, you are the Christ. Uh, This Christ, the Christ, must suffer and die. Such a Messiah was not a part of the Jewish thinking at the time. And in fact, this is one reason why even today many Jews still reject Christ because they say that a man could not suffer and die for their sins. They reject the notion of the hyperstatic union that Jesus was fully man and fully God at the same time. So they acknowledge that Jesus was a good teacher, a good prophet, but he was not actually the Messiah. And so that's a pretty significant thing uh, when it comes to understanding the Jewish train of thought. And this is, you know, one reason what Peter is essentially putting his foot in his mouth, if you would, and stating that uh, he won't have to deal with this. We will fight for you, Jesus. And, uh, you know, far be it from you, Lord, that you will have to suffer and die for us. It's kind of the mindset of Peter and probably all of the disciples as well at this point. So in our next verse, Peter is essentially being addressed as Satan here, right? So we talked a little bit about last week again. Um, Jesus addresses Peter as Satan's spokesman. 
because his counsel would keep Jesus from fulfilling God's purpose. And so this is a pretty strong move by Christ, but it really is, starts to assert that even the will of Satan or Satan's desires will not thwart God's purpose. So Satan has no power in changing the outcome of this situation. However, Satan will think he is victorious in the fact that he was able to have Christ killed. But lo and behold, Jesus rises from the grave and defeats sin, death, and the devil. So Satan really has no power to control the ultimate outcome, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter genuinely thinks he's helping Jesus when he tries to talk him out of his suffering and death. Uh, at times, we also fail to understand God's ways, thinking that we know better. Jesus knows that he has to take up his cross for our salvation. And Peter will learn this truth later, a truth that comes and continues to give us comfort and peace. So that is the kind of rebuke, if you would, in a nutshell. And I do believe, I'm just kind of getting, I don't know if I'm getting over like some head colds or whatever, but my kids are sick and so I might be starting to get it. So I really can't recall, honestly, whether I covered that text in depth last week or not. Or if we kind of just did a parlay to it and then picked it up this week and looked at it again. So if I did, I apologize. And uh, we'll move on here to the next portion because it kind of does have some connecting aspects. And, you know, Jesus is prophesying his death in these first few verses. And now he's turning to his disciples saying that if you want to follow me, then you must do these things too to affirm that self has no claim or value worth comparing with Christ, and that is to deny yourself. You have nothing when it comes to Christ, you know, when you compare yourself to Christ. You have nothing to offer, nothing to claim, nothing to value. You bring nothing to the table. However, your life was worth the fact of Christ to die for you. That is the kind of the statement, and I think sometimes the prosperity preachers can get that wrong in saying that you are so valuable, and so therefore God is going to give you all these things. No, it's just the fact that your life and death took the death of God on the cross to save you from your own sinful ways. That is a cost that is unmeasurable in the whole grand scheme of things. So, uh, and this is, you know, kind of quoting uh, Philippians chapter three as to say to affirm that the self has no claim or value or worth when, uh, when comparing it oneself to Christ. So we are to take up the cross and follow me, meaning Jesus. And I think here's where we can really kind of get into the weeds of theology because, I, I, you know, me coming from a Calvinist circle, this would really imply the action and sacrifice that you are to do these things in order to be called a good Christian. And more so, people will say that you are to do this if you are to demonstrate to people that you're a Christian. And I, and I get part of it, but it's like, okay, so how do you define picking up your cross? How could you make this an example for somebody practical for them to do? And does it mean to live in a quote-unquote sacrificial life? You sell all your possessions, you become a missionary, and you go overseas, and you preach the gospel in hopes that you might be martyred? Is that what picking up your cross looks like? I don't want to say yes, 
but you can't quite say no because to some people, missionary work is their destiny. Sometimes missionary work is what God is calling these individuals to be. Sometimes it's um, to go into the ministry. You know, I, I mean, I picked up the cross of Christ and left corporate America and I went into the ministry and now uh, I serve as you know, a pastor in this church here in Iowa for almost three years. And I am a, now going to be a hospice chaplain to, um, you know, walk with people to the very end of their lives. That is denying myself, denying my selfish ambitions, denying the, the comfortable lifestyle that we had in Chicago and picking up this cross and living a, a life that is emotionally difficult as a pastor here in Iowa, it's emotionally challenging and spiritually challenging. It's not physically demanding. It's it's not that um, you know I have to go out and dig trenches all day long, but it is it is spiritually and emotionally challenging. And those two aspects, when when such stress is applied, can start to debilitate the physical aspect because you are under the pressure of ensuring that the people around your community understand and know Christ in the proper light. And so that to me is picking up my cross for everybody. It's a different. And, and I want to really stress this, that picking up the cross doesn't always have to be a physical job or a physical labor or a physical move. It doesn't have to entail you selling all your possessions. It doesn't have to always entail you to do these, you know, far extreme things, but to pick up your cross can simply just be um, being more open to people in your life and being that shoulder to cry on and the ear to listen to and helping people through difficult problems and times. It can be the notion of offering financial help and support to somebody. It can be going on like a mission Sunday, the church that we used to go to in Illinois had mission outreach and they would partner with Costco and um, I don't know it wasn't it was Myers it's a grocery store back in Illinois Myers was the store and they would partner with them and Myers would set up these pallets of food they would actually order all of the stuff in advance and the church would come in and purchase from these and each cart would go back into the food pantry at the church, and then that the church would then box these up and send them out to people who were in need of food. And so my wife and I were able to participate in it from a number of uh, positions. We uh, every year would come in and buy a cart full of food, and then we would turn around and actually help sort the food or uh, load the trucks, whatever it took. We would assist with that. And so that was one aspect of you know picking up your cross and carrying it, because it basically to really give a good definition of what it means, it simply is this, to deny yourself and to help somebody else, to deny your comfortability, to deny your selfish desires and your selfish ambitions and to help somebody else. And that can come in a thousand, a million different ways. It doesn't always have to be financial or physical. It could be spiritual. It could be emotional help. It could just be, you know, talking to somebody on the phone. It could be going to visit somebody at their house. It could be, you know, going to a nursing center and helping the elderly there. It can be so many things. And 
we often, you know, especially in the Calvinist circle, we want tangible proof, right? In that in that circle, that's what the the desire is, and we want to be able to measure somebody's quote unquote faith by how much they're actually contributing to the kingdom of God. And I find that to be an exceptionally challenging aspect because what about people who are wheelchair bound or what about people who have a mental handicap, still believe in love Jesus and still can be a light to this world and still can be an inspiration to people, but they can't physically do anything or they can't do much of anything. So how do we measure them carrying their cross? Well, they, for them, it could simply just being, being that light, being that positive attitude, always showing love and compassion to other people. So I think a lot of times we try to measure it tangibly, but that's not what the text is generally telling us. And really from a grander scope of scripture and the whole church history that we have, the uh, picking up the, the cross can mean, like I said, a million different things. It doesn't always have to be you know, something that somebody else outside can write down on a clipboard and make sure that you're doing well. And I always, you know, joke with it that they're the fruit police and they're coming by to inspect your fruit and make sure that you are, you know, doing the things that, you know, fit their uh, uh, presuppositional view of what a Christian is like. I had a uh, I had confirmation last night and I got four students in there and a, they're all wonderful, young, mo- beautiful minds. And uh, we were talking through baptism last night as I will be baptizing one of the students who uh, is now coming to church with her father and mother. And she wants to, her and her sister want to be um, baptized because they were never baptized as infants, which is you know going to be a cool experience for me. And uh, we were talking through this and the girl had asked, what about people who don't come to church but say they believe in Jesus and you, but you couldn't really tell? Are they still saved? Because we're talking about how baptism saves and such like that. And I said, well, it, it's a challenge, right? As a pastor, I can't say yay or nay. I really can't make that judgment stance. However, if a person is active in church or comes to church and makes these verbal proclamations and, you know, is a part of things, then it's very easy for those around to measure and understand their faith. It's easy for us to witness. That's really the whole premise to us is to witness somebody else's faith. It is not to measure or uh, come alongside and, and inspect or do any of these other things. It is just simply to witness one's faith. So it's very challenging if they're not here in church and there's no way to and engage that from, you know, another perspective. It's very difficult. I said, but it doesn't mean that they aren't saved. It could just be, you know, that's between them and God. I said, it's easy for somebody to be here in church on a weekly basis and for us to partake in this ministry to witness them and to see the things that they do, the way they act and the way they love. And that is, you know, is the picking up of the cross. It's denying yourself, boy, I could sure sleep in today, but I'm going to get up early. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to church with my family and I'm going to worship God. That is a self-denial, right? It is is part of the human nature to want to just be lazy. We don't want to do anything because we don't want to have to get out of our comfort zone. And so there is a significant difference between being able to witness somebody's faith and being able to not witness somebody's faith. And so we have to understand both of those constructs. It doesn't mean that either or are right or wrong. 
but it certainly means that there is a challenge when it comes to understanding one's uh, positioning, if you would, within the church. If they're not active or not coming and they have want no part of it. So then after Jesus kind of makes this profound statement, he goes on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so again, this is kind of a where people can go off that deep end of like, you got to be a missionary, otherwise you're not saved, or you got to be doing all this hard stuff. And, you know, there's a meme that goes around, if you were arrested and tried as being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you and sentence you to death? And so this conversation always really kind of circulates back to, are you doing enough for people to pay attention to and to Uh, measure and mark and inspect your fruit and faith. And really it's, it's tough because that's not necessarily what is taking place here. You know, Jesus isn't telling them that you must die in order to be saved. He's simply stating that if you were to pursue the measure of self comfort to save your life, then you're going to lose it. But if you find the path that is, you know, narrow and you follow Christ and perhaps end up being a martyr, you will gain that life. You will get that eternal life. But it's, you know, not just the physical life that you lose. It is the sacrificial, spiritual, emotional life too. It is to surrender the things of this world, the comforts of this world and find Christ and find your comfort and your joy and your peace in him. That is how we would measure this out. You are surrendering and giving up the life that you would have without Christ to have a life with Christ and to endure whatever hardships may come from that life. And then he goes on and kind of give us uh, a nice little statement here. He says, for whatever it'll profit a man who gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. Again, this is to demonstrate that. You know, verse 25 is not stating that you must become a missionary. It is simply to say that if you are to seek the things of this world, you are going to lose your life. But if you seek the things of holiness, righteousness, and of godliness, then you will find it and you will find life. What shall a man give in return for his soul? If you forfeit your life for the pleasures of this world, you will forfeit your soul. But if you find and seek the things of righteousness through Christ, then obviously you will have such unmeasurable amounts of profits. Uh, And then he gives us a neat little uh, eschatological statement here at the end for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then uh, each will repay according to what he has done. Truly I say to you that there are none standing here that will taste death. So let's look at 27. Again, just very simple, direct statement that, the day will come when the son of man Christ returns, the sky shatter open. And then the day of judgment where each man will have to come and give, you know, uh, uh, they will have to make a statement for the life that they've lived. And you can either plead not guilty and say that Jesus Christ is my advocate. Jesus Christ died for my sins, forgives me of my sins and you will be innocent. Or you could plead guilty and you have to answer for all of your sins and you will be punished into eternal fire. Uh, so then this, this little verse here at the end really kind of has tripped people up. And so, uh, it, it's again, one that's pretty hard to demonstrate because he's saying to his disciples, truly, I say to you, the disciples, there are some standing here who will not 
taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the coming is not the same as the glory in which Jesus refers to in verse 27. This is not an eschatological verse. This is one where he assures his followers that some will see his kingdom come in his resurrection in Pentecost and in the growth of the church. So some of these disciples will witness the coming of the kingdom of God. So there's two separations here. Verse 27 is talking about the end of times, the glory of Christ coming. And then verse 28 is talking about, and some theologians have even argued that this is actually referring to um, James, John, and Peter witnessing the transfiguration, which comes here in verse in chapter 27, or 17, my apologies. But it, it is that and more. It is that and the fact that there are some, many, in fact, all except Judas who, you know, who are traveling here will pay witness to his resurrection. And then Peter will, and some of the other disciples who were present at Pentecost and the preaching will witness the Holy Spirit come. And then they will witness the church growth throughout the area and into uh, the Gentile lands. The disciples were not expected to live and wait until the end of the world. Uh, this is not what Jesus is stating. He's not stating that this is going to, you, you will live until the very end of time. No, you will live until you see your position and your, you know, I hate to use the word destiny, but, you know, your fulfillment, your purpose, your means that you are destined to do. And I guess destiny kind of fits maybe. But each disciple had his own purpose, his own mission. And once that was fulfilled, they would then be martyred. In fact, every disciple except John was martyred. And John was even attempted. They attempted to kill him. And yet he survived and was the only one to live to old age. So there's a lot to really deal with in that verse. But it simply just is stating that these disciples here will witness the greater means and the greater workings of Christ and his kingdom coming into this world and the gospel just flourishing throughout the Middle East. So that's where we will plant our flag for the day, and we are right at that 30-minute mark. So I'm happy we got a, a good chunk of show here today for you, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you are happy that I fixed the sound quality. It certainly sounds better as I go back and re-listen to sections of the show. Uh, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, this Sunday is Reformation Sunday, so go and celebrate Luther's disobedience to the Roman Catholic Church and the establishment of the Protestant Church, but more so understand that Luther wasn't trying to separate himself from the Roman Catholic Church. Luther was not trying to establish a new church. This doesn't come until 1521. Luther was trying to debate certain aspects of the Roman Catholic faith and challenge their positions on certain things. So this is not a movement away to, you know, from the Roman Catholic Church. This was a coming back to the truth of what scripture is. And that's why we celebrate the Reformation. It is a going back to the text and centering ourselves around the word of God. So make sure you're in church. And I pray that you hear a good law gospel distinction of the, the passage that your pastor's preaching, and I pray that he pr gives you the gospel and not just a whole bunch of law. 
So, and I hope you can partake in the sacraments. We have baptisms this week and communion next week. So we have a whole bunch coming down the way for my congregation. So I'm very excited for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.